Welcome to Rector's Cupboard, a podcast for people who are interested in questions of culture and faith. We ask these questions from outside the institutional structures of religion. We're glad that you're listening and hope that you enjoy and benefit from the conversation. Way back in the mid-1990s, Ken Bell, Rector's Cupboard Cupboard Master, and Todd Weeb, Rector's Cupboard Co-Host, regularly attended youth specialties conferences. These were geared towards youth pastors and youth workers, and they gathered a couple thousand such people for a few days of hearing from mostly fantastic and some fantastically terrible speakers. Our guest today was, according to Todd and Ken, one of the fantastic speakers at one of these conferences. Will Willimon's keynote talk was the best of that conference, and from that day on, both Todd and Ken kept familiar with what was going on with Will, what he was saying and preaching and writing. He said a lot, and wrote a lot, as it turns out. Many years later, in 2019, Ken was just about to leave his job uh, as an Anglican minister, and Todd and most of the staff at our church, including myself, were soon to leave as well. At the time, Will Willimon and his writing came up again. A number of people at the church were part of a book club reading his book, Who Will Be Saved? The book presents that a much more interesting question than are you saved is who does the saving and argues for a wider, more hopeful view of salvation than many of us may have grown up with. As Todd was navigating with the church board through some challenges and conflicts, Will's book was brought up. The people who brought it up did so as part of a larger questioning of Todd's leadership choices. And though they had not read it themselves, they said that they had heard from people who had that the book argued in favor of universalism. Interestingly, around the same time, because Todd had become friends with Jason Biasi, a professor at the Vancouver School of Theology, and because Jason was very close uh, with Will Williman from when they were both at Duke Divinity School, Will actually agreed to join the book club via Zoom before the pandemic to take questions about his book. It's curious how connections and relationships become established. From miles and miles away, Will has become a friend of ours, a friend of Rector's Cupboard. Todd jokingly told Will that it was his fault that Todd and others, including myself, had been fired from the church. From Jason, we have heard, and from our own conversations with Will, we have seen how Will has been and continues to be an inspiration to Christians and church leaders. One of the things that we have found so great about Will is that he's okay with upsetting both sides of the religious spectrum and both sides of the political spectrum. We have seen how welcoming and caring he is about people, but also how refreshingly uninterested he is in saying just what you want to hear. Will has written a lot about the church, about preaching, and about how the message of Christ is often distorted, but remains the hope of the world. Like just about all spiritually mature people that we have met, Will is also a lot of fun. He doesn't take himself too seriously, even while knowing that what he has to say matters. Will's most recent book is a vocabulary of Christian faith. It offers a great example of his way of speaking and writing. It challenges us to see what is beautiful about Christian faith, even as it unsparingly tears down some of the idols within our religious systems. We are grateful for Will to join us today, for taking time to speak with us. We hope that you enjoy the conversation as well. Our guest uh, for this episode of Rector Cu- Rector's Cupboard is the Reverend Dr. William H. Williman professor of the practice of Christian ministry at the Divinity School at Duke University. He served eight years as bishop of the North Alabama Conference of the United Methodist Church, where he led 792 pastors, or 793 pastors, or 91, I think it's, and 157,000 Methodists. I did the math on that, 
That's like 196 Methodists per, per pastor. pastor? Yeah. We've so, done the per capita math. Um, That's a lot of math for you, yeah, Todd. Yeah, for 20 years uh, prior to, he was dean of the chapel at, and professor of Christian ministry at Duke University in Durham, North Carolina. Uh, he not only helped to lead and teach pastors, but he himself has been for years uh, a parish minister as well. He's done that work. He's the author of roughly 100 books. Do you know exactly how many? No. Amazing. Okay, good. That makes me happier too. Oh my goodness. That's, <laughs> I can't really like kind of like contextualize yeah. that in my head. It's yeah. it's absolutely amazing. Roughly 100. <laughs> how old is that? Because you're probably, you know, you could probably yeah, say now. I am very old. Okay. <laughs> of living longer than the Bible says you should be living. Yeah. Do, do you write uh, more quickly or more slowly than you used to or at the same pace? Oh, you know, I hadn't thought about that question. In a way, I think I write more slowly because I feel like I've got more time. Uh, well, in one sense, I have less time, like, living. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, for instance, uh, uh, God Turned Toward Us, I wrote during the pandemic. Mm. And uh, it's very rare that I have time to write and then rewrite and then reread it and then rewrite it. And I did that on this book. And that was kind of fun. Yeah. Didn't have a deadline looming before me and could could linger with it. Do you still write in the same kind of, um, like I, it was Jason, I think <clears throat> Jason Biasi, who was telling us that he, he, I think he was referencing that you often write very early in the morning. Do you still follow the same kind of practice and structure or is it all over uh, the place? Maybe I do. I, I, I don't have a disciplined uh, time. Okay. Of, of writing, but I, I generally write when I <clears throat> enjoy writing. Okay. <laughs> you know, I think the first little church I served, uh, I had to preach three times a week. I had to come up with three sermons. I was right out of seminary. I didn't have three <sighs> sermons. So I got in kind of a habit right. of uh, getting up in the morning and sitting down and writing. Writing. <laughs> that has stuck with me over the years and um uh, so yeah that's uh, well uh, roughly 100 books means that's more, more than, than i will ever people. write in my lifetime and that's probably more true. than some people might read that's what i was going to say yeah it, it's it's um but we're still they in the say around here that i've written more than i've read okay <laughs> That's I don't think I don't, that's I don't, Yeah, I was just say, I don't that's believe mean, that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Thank you. We're going to talk about two of the books. So I'll finish the introduction. <laughs> we'll we're going to talk about, two, well, thinking about two of the books, one in particular, God Turned Towards Us, The ABCs of Christian Faith, which is out like right now. It's yes. coming out as we speak. On Amazon, like in your bookstores. Earlier this morning, it wouldn't be on Amazon. I don't know. And later this morning, Who knows? it could be on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, uh, that. so that's right now. And then last fall, uh, book, came out called Preacher's Dare, Speaking for God. Um, that was to coincide with Beecher Lectures at Yale Divinity School, which were supposed to be fall 2020. Yes, but, and it just But now happened. it just took place last week. So you can go, we'll put links to that. You can yeah. go and, and watch oh, those you. lectures online. Um, they're very, very good. So uh, Will, Dr. Willman, thank you so much for joining us yes, again for the second you. time. Yes. The last time we spoke was, I think it was May 2020, which would have been 
early days of the pandemic. Yeah, still in kind of those really uncertain times. But we thought it was later days of I the know. pandemic. Because so, you thought, you know, and, so bad. and here we, we are. Yeah. How are you in your part of the world pandemic-wise? I mean, I think we could... We, uh, we're we functioning, uh, yeah. you know, back in school, masked. Uh, and, yeah. uh, you know, we're not done with it, but I, I sure hope we're nearly done with it. Yeah. Uh, still stressed at the low rate of vaccination yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's interesting around here. They're, they're quite a bit higher here than they are where, where you are. Canadians um, always do better. Yeah. <laughs> Moral tests uh, yeah. we do. Uh, yeah. And yet we're far less churched. Whatever that means. Yeah, that, uh, yeah. that yeah, is let's, disturbing. That's an interesting correlation. Uh, yeah. I, I have, long, have long pondered, why is it that so many Canadians that I meet uh, in Canada are just such uh, warm, wonderful people, and none of them yeah. church? Yeah. And is there a theme yeah. here? Uh, I don't know, Dr. Relevant. But then I think, well, maybe if you're that damn nice, you, you don't need to go to church. I don't know. I mean, I know that I'm from South Carolina, and when you're from South Carolina, you better go to church. Uh, oh, my goodness. You better hope there's a forgiving and loving God, or you're doomed. Uh, so maybe that's the dynamic. I yeah, know. some of it's facade up here, I think. It's, yeah. You know, it's not all entirely yeah, deeply it's, genuine. It's uh, So um, the book. Yes, the book. The The ABCs of Christian faith, God turned towards us, which... Um, one of the things I really appreciate about the book, uh, while it does work on the, like, there's a definition, you know, here and then here and then here, th- there's clearly a thread that holds the book together. Mm-hmm. And that is something you keep going back to is God turned towards us. Um, so tell us, you know, why that, why that mm-hmm. subtitle is there and maybe why that keeps coming up. Uh, that phrase I first picked up from Karl Barth in his Gertigan lectures, which the Gertigan lectures were kind of stimulus uh, for the Preacher's Dear book, but it continues with me. But uh, it's it's an evocative phrase for me, and it also, I think, represents kind of Barth felt like, uh, you know, the significance of Jesus Christ is it's not to kind of pay some kind of debt that we owe God. Uh, Bart uh, has been accused of, of letting Bethlehem mean more than Golgotha, mm-hmm. his theology and all. But uh, we have God who is fundamentally from eternity turned toward us uh, for reasons known only to the Trinity. And I, I think that's important because sometimes people get the impression that God is other than we meet in Jesus Christ and is God turning mm. away from us yeah. mm. or God embarrassed by us or God uh, that salvation becomes God's plan B after God's plan A was screwed up by human sin. <laughs> Bart said, no, yeah. uh, this is who God was from the beginning. Uh, Jesus Christ is eternally who God is. Yeah. Um, so that turning toward us seemed to be an evocative. Yeah, no, I loved it. As soon as I saw the title, I I, I know some of that from Bart, and I I thought, oh, this is this will be great to 
knowing you and how you speak and that you don't have a you know romantic view of humanity at the same time at one point in the book you say god turns towards us and stands against us that there's an interesting uh, yeah. kind of i think that us who is the us well we are those who have turned away from god every chance we got and yet the us in our full flawed humanity is the one that god relentlessly turns toward mm -hmm. and sister having conversation with and i guess one way to think about this book is uh he, hear the words you use to be as fully in that conversation with god mm -hmm. as you uh has some weird words like a yeah uh, that aren't used in everyday speech or salvation but then we have more familiar words like hunger yeah uh, or healing. Uh, and uh, so we have a God who not only turns toward us, but is determined to talk to us and who even listens to us. And uh, therefore, the words we use become important. Yeah. And it's, well, and those, I, I like that interplay too, Allison. You were talking to me about this. that you did you find words in there that oh what what does that mean like or words we we rarely hear prelapsarian or yeah know, no um, there's some that i'm like the, oh that i'm was, not familiar with that one and i like that, that. was just kind of thrown yeah. in there yeah. uh, uh, uh but uh you know part of the fun of christian believing and i used to mm. enjoy this i realized when i got through with this book how indebted i was to my 20 years in campus ministry mm as a chaplain, but, uh, you know, students, one thing about students is going to a university means vocabulary, at least in the first few years of a subject, uh, you're learning a whole new vocabulary in order to be a chemist, in order to be a physicist, in order to, yeah. and, uh, sometimes they would delight in weird uh, prelapsarianism, yeah. homoousion, homoousion, hypostasis. Yeah. yeah. I took a church history uh, the strange, course. The stranger the word, the more into it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I would, oh. yeah. And I would often say to students, uh, and they said, well, what does that word mean? I've never heard that word before. I don't know what that word means. And I said, oh, well, what did you make on the uh, SAT test? And uh, they said, well, 1350. And I said, well, that's just average it do but uh, isn't that amazing you're you're obviously brilliant you're very smart and yet you don't know what that word means okay here's the first lesson christianity is not innate somebody's got to teach it to you yeah. mm -hmm. sit for the instruction it's not it's against your natural inclination and i love the way you're asking for help and it's my job to give you all the help I can so that you can talk Christian one day. Yeah. <laughs> so that's great. Like as a value that that's a, a good and important thing, but it also you, you're, you're playful enough in the book to uh, hold before us, you know, the reality that we don't know as well. Yeah. Um, and so some of the definitions, including that there, word, there right? were several times that I was reading the book here in the office and I just started like snorting. I'm like, OK, I'm going to have to be really careful with what I drink when we're like doing this interview, because there's so many times where I'm like, oh, my goodness, he's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, oh, I see. Uh, I, I thought you were referring to alcohol. 
the uh which might help the book. Yeah. <laughs> it, it may for some people, yes. I liked when you said uh, all sins can be forgiven except, quote, the sin against the Holy Spirit. Fortunately, nobody knows what Jesus meant by that. <laughs> like that's, that's, that's what I mean, right? Oh, like good. But yeah. well, it, it, uh, uh, I do think it's helpful for those of us who are busy defining and explaining and all to yeah. talk about the, the great... Uh, I have an entry in there on um, something uh someone who nobody has ever put in any christian abc lexicon I've, it, onan um, oh yeah from the, yes. oh yeah and uh <laughs> i said it is it, wonderful the yeah. bible is just filled <laughs> with so much that it's important for you to know but the bible is filled with so much you never ever need no, to never know. need to know <laughs> just yeah. don't worry about yeah. it people and um that I must say, I, I think sometimes in the interest of evangelism, in the interest of comprehensible sermons, we get reductionistic. Yeah. We mm. cut the Christian faith down smaller and smaller parts, something fit on a bumper sticker. Um, well, I think it's also something to be said uh, for complexifying it. I remember the mm. great Holmes. Uh, the late Peter Gomes, who was at Memorial Church at Harvard, uh, preaching in Duke Chapel. And he said, he begins his sermon, I know many of you have plans for this afternoon, uh, things that you will be doing with your families and want to do. And so probably you're hoping that the service will be done with in a reasonable amount of time. Well, I'm sorry. It's Trinity Sunday, people. And you know nothing about the Trinity. And don't lie to me, you know nothing. And he said, but I'm going to fix that. It'll take me about 40 minutes to do it. So just settle down. It's Trinity Sunday. It's Duke University. I'm working with vast ignorance here. So give me some time. <laughs> it was just wonderful. And I was thinking that some of our biggest mistakes occur when we say like the word God hmm. and we actually assume mm -hmm. we know what we're talking about and we assume everybody else knows what we're talking about. So like in the, the entry on atheism, you know, I said, when, when people say, I don't believe in God, it, it's fair appropriate to say, Oh, okay. Now, now tell me about the God. You you, do, yeah. Um, oh, great. We don't believe in that God yeah. either. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and, um, uh, uh, or the entry in evangelism. I, I just looking at that one, yeah. As the announcement, hey, you're included. Come on. Uh, good news. Uh, making all the weirder that in a lot of people's minds, evangelicals are people that spend a lot of time arguing over who is excluded. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so I hope there's critique. But I hope it's gentle enough that I'll get a hearing. Well, one of the things that in, in the um, lectures at Yale that you just gave, so I, I would imagine it's in the Preacher's uh, Dare book, um, you mentioned, um, well, at least in the lecture, Bart's dialectical theology. That kind of, And it's interesting because echoes of 
So when you're talking about evangelism, you have that here. I had that noted in my notes that when you said evangelism, evangelism is not a list of who is excluded. Mm -hmm. But then there's the other side of that. So that evangelism also is not an appeal to people's self-centeredness. Um, that which, so, you know, sometimes there's these lists of exclusions, like telling people how bad they are, but that's one of the things I like about your writing. And it comes out obviously in this book, it's, it's kind of pushing away from that exclusion, but it's not this like, you know, celebration of, of, you know, oh, you're so wonderful and we're just doing everything for you. Um, Well, that I, uh, you know, in the weird nature of the Christian faith, as you know, I'm, uh, uh, grace is also judgment. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, it depends on who's getting the grace, uh, 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 a, a lot of things. And that, uh, or as I say uh, about maybe about gospel, good news, uh, sometimes the difference between good news or bad news is, is where you happen yeah. to be standing when you get the news. Yeah. Uh, when Jesus says, good news, uh, blessed are the poor. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people are not going to feel super blessed by that. Uh, yeah, it depends on the kind of car you drive. Yeah. Um, it, uh, and in fact, I, and I have an entry on sentimentalism, yeah. which I'm making war against because I'm a Methodist and that's our go-to God substitute. But uh, the no, the, the, I just we're also sinners. We we are those whom God has loved and embraced, uh, even in our sin. But that doesn't deny our sin and its seriousness. And I mentioned, you know, people on top, people who are privileged and powerful, always think they're good and yeah. that we live in a wonderful world. What's wrong with it? I'm running it. It's benefiting me and my family just fine. Yeah. We live in a beautiful creation. Well, that that's maybe why Jesus puts at the center those who are often the most powerless, vulnerable, and those who provide a different read of this world and our the way we've created it. And so I, I found Bart's dialectic yeah. to be wonderfully helpful. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's, um, well, and I wanted to ask uh, it, the first thing that struck me, well, even the introduction, there's lots of, of great little lines in there. And then you get to the first word. It's the ABCs of Christian faith. Yeah. So, so I, mean, obviously I, I would imagine it, it, A is going to come first. Now, knowing with... <laughs> Will Williman, that's not necessarily the case. We could have started with H. You know, like it's possible. It could have been like, but anyway, A does come first. It and does. It is alphabetical. The book is. is alphabetical. So it starts with the and term. And so the first word is abortion. <laughs> abortion. <laughs> yeah. No. That bothered me. Did it? I thought, of, I said, surely I could go with Absalom or yeah. something before that. <laughs> Abigail yeah. uh, or uh, Aaron. Uh, but there it is, abortion. But there it is. It, it in a way, I regretted it was there because one of the things I say in the abortion entry is that uh, abortion is a valid uh, question, a valid ethical, uh, it's something to be validly concerned about, uh, uh, condemn even. Uh, However, there's no justification for making it the whole purpose of the church and the the church's teaching. Mm -hmm. That is 
unjustified. Hmm. And and all and in the abortion thing, I I use that as an occasion to say uh, it, it really bothers me that some Christians say uh, abortion should be any person's right that that wants uh, this procedure. Other Christians say, uh, no, it is uh, evil, it is wrong, it, it is reprehensible. Both groups, in my hearing, say, and the way to do that is to get the government on your yeah. side and then get the government to force their position down everybody else's yeah. throat. I'm sorry, that's not Christian. Yeah, <laughs> That's not the way we work. And um, that... Sadly, most of the debate on abortion that I hear, right, left, pro-con, is uh, a testimony on how little church we've got that mm. we'll be debating is how can we have a church that enables individual Christians to make some tough decisions that are not individual decisions, that are church decisions, that, are, that have a church to say, you make this decision out of your commitment to Christ, mm. and we'll back you up. Mm. We've enabled you to make a hard choice that you might not have been able to make had you not been a Christian uh, in the church. And failing to have that kind of church, we make abortion a kind of personal choice, a private matter. Mm. Uh, I think that's that's sad. That's really so, interesting. Yeah. I hated to begin with abortion, but. I, I like, and I, you know, you had the, the words there, you, you have that freedom of choice is an American, not a Christian fetish. And this happens over and over again in the book. So you could be reading the book and this will happen for people who read it and you'll think, yeah, I've got some ammunition against the other side. But yeah. it usually is a few sentences <laughs> later. later that you're like, oh, <laughs> that, so okay. freedom of choice is an American, not a Christian fetish. But then it's a paragraph and a bit later that you say Christians work through argument, persuasion, conversion, not by seizing political power. Yeah. It's one of the blessings of a book like this is that mm -hmm. it speaks to it. it if we listen to it, it stops us from that tendency to want to gather ammunition against the other side. Yeah. I, I, I'd love to talk a, a little bit on your, your, your definition of church. Uh, I was particularly struck by that because you, you explain in the book how we know the center of the circle of church and that's Christ, but nobody knows what the circumference is. And so like, we don't get to make those determinations about who's in, who's out and where, where those kind of definitions actually exist. And it, it's, it's, it's a terrifying kind of concept of church because then you don't kind you don't have those, those borders, which make things a little easier to understand, but it's, it's really inspiring. Um, I was wondering what, if you could extrapolate a little bit on that for us and kind of talk about how you have something like church unity within an understanding of church that has no circumference. I, I think uh, to be in church is to be in a tense situation uh, in that you're, to be church, you're kind of, get a front row seat or you become uh, an enlisted participant in Christ's salvation of his world. And uh, I say somewhere that Jesus Christ was crucified in great part because he saved the wrong people. He saved people we didn't want saving. Uh, I think I could back that up with scripture. I think and so. Yeah. I, I have copious scripture references. Um, 
And also, uh, I've got at the end of the book, as you know, I've got these trajectories for further reading yeah. where I group a bunch of topics together. Well, one of them is thinking about leaving your church. Please. <laughs> and some of those say things like, uh, one of the things about being in the church is, is, is getting saved with people you don't like. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that you don't have anything in common and uh, that are not your type. And uh, so to say, I'm leaving my church because my church uh, is so, I've got people in there that I just uh, can't abide and all. Uh, well, that's not a very good reason because yeah. that's kind of called church. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so I, I hope I'm sufficiently realistic about the real challenges of church. At the same time, say, for better or for worse, this is God's appointed means mm. of, of saving us. That if we're going to be brought back to God, it'll be as a group. And that when God turns to us, it's not enough that God has turned to me. It's God has turned to people of whom I don't approve. So it's a mess. Yeah. I've, I've got an entry on unity, I believe. You, you mentioned unity and uh, uh Wow. Uh, unity is a big deal in the New Testament. Most of Paul's mm -hmm. letters are about to divided churches and all, about unity. At the same time, I think uh, Paul would say, in fact, he does say that uh, there are divisions among you, and there should be. I believe it. Uh, show who's sincere, whatever that means. And um Unity, even as noble a virtue of unity, can be perverted by the church as a means of saying to some of our members, shut up. Yeah. yeah. We don't want to hear from you. We don't want to talk about it. And I mentioned, I guess when I'm talking about the gospels, how amazing it is. We don't have one gospel. We got four. <laughs> four very different voices. And they all speak of the one Christ, but they speak in some of them some amazingly different ways. Well, that that we call that unity. And so uh, we, maybe a theme that runs throughout the book is Christians have some weird ideas yeah. about <laughs> And, you know, you can't be for unity. What can you be for? Well, you can be for Christ and... Um, let your definitions of unity flow from him hmm. rather than demand that he conform to your mm -hmm. definitions of what ought to be unified. I, I uh, think about that now, not only in church, but in culture. Yeah, no, as, things are very polarized. As things are breaking apart and as, as we're finding our kind of affinity groups and, yeah. and acting as if, you know, being with people who disagree with us on some pretty major things is a threat yeah. or we shouldn't do it. And, and and now churches, I, I don't know that this is all churches, but churches are targeting certain, you know, many churches are targeting this is going to be who, who we're aiming for that would be part of the church, whether that's age in terms of demographics or or whatever it is. And, and as these things come apart, I think you can kind of, it, it's interesting to consider, there's, would we mourn the loss of being with people we don't really like like when I or, or we don't really connect with when I think of church um, one of the greatest blessings is with being with people I would never be with yeah. these people <laughs> how would you ever have connected with them any like other I, way there's no way I would have met so and so and so and so and so and so and see them every week or something 
accept church because they That's think so wonderful. much, right? And it's if I, I say to churches, if you can't point to somebody on Sunday mornings, yeah. you that you would never in a thousand <laughs> years had any contact with, uh, you're failing at evangelism. You're failing at church. Uh, come on, uh, Jesus wants it to be more interesting than that. Yeah. And, uh, that it is a shame. I. I uh, uh, you know, I've heard over the last couple of years phrases like, I've never seen America more divided. Yeah. Uh, well, I mentioned in the book, the African-American church says, really? Yeah. <laughs> now, when was America together? Yeah. Yeah. What What, what point in yeah. history was this? Yeah. And, uh, or, uh, yeah, I, uh, I had a Canadian pastor tell me, we were talking about the controversy over the native uh, residential school mm -hmm. and uh he said uh you know uh canadians have often come across to some of you guys as being innocent mm -hmm. naive sweet good he said uh we oh no and i said well thank you as someone Produced by legally, racially segregated South Carolina. Hmm. I appreciate you saying that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, uh, I'm afraid our evil maybe topped your evil, but you know, evil's evil. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not sure that's a great comparison. Yeah, I, I suppose, um, but not for the people who suffered under it. No. Uh, oh, ab absolutely. Yeah. It is, though, in the weird economy of the Christian faith to admit to one's participation in profiting from evil, uh, to repent, to tell the truth about it, becomes for us one of our most joyful moments. Yeah. We, we don't have to lie. Uh, yeah. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. So the, the Christian faith, just, you just live constantly in this dialectic, as you called it, where you yeah. say two things, and that is you are uh, sinners who are saved. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, that, that's a weird yeah. condition to be in, and yet uh, the church teaches us how to talk about that. That's so mm -hmm. wonderful. And I'm thinking of your subtitle, God Turns Towards Us. Uh, he turned towards sinners. Yeah. <laughs> but that, that that's also the hope that... Uh, there's another cultural point uh, or that resonated with me in terms of culture and where we're at that's also theological that I wondered if we could get your comment on one line. I don't remember what entry it was in. It might have been eschatology. Um, but where you, you say simply, uh, the Bible does eschatology, not progress. Uh, mm. Tell us a bit more about that. I, I found that quite hopeful, but many people don't know what eschatology is. Or so, tell us the Bible does eschatology, not progress. Yeah, and in the nature of this kind of book, this kind of writing, there there are statements that demand to be unpacked, uh, more to be said, and and that's good. I, yeah. And when I'm preaching on Sunday, and someone says, "But but you didn't yeah. say enough." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I said, isn't it great you're saying it? Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. Let me know if you get any good stuff on oh, that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but eschatology literally talk about 
the last things about what's next, about uh, the end, yeah. both the end is the the terminus and the 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 goal. Uh, I think we in the West and North America, particularly, we we bought in that notion that progress uh, through. Uh, human efforts. We're actually making a, a much better world than we had, and we have had some great achievements in building a better world than we had. And yet, as Martin Luther King said, you know, we we can fly through the air like birds, and we can swim through the seas like the fish. We cannot seem to find a way to live on Earth like people. Mm-hmm. That that so. I don't like the phrase, I don't have this in the book, I guess, but the notion of progressive Christians. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think of another way to talk about yeah. that. Eschatological uh, Christians or something. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. You know, what have we progressed beyond? Yeah. Uh, uh, and and uh, that kind of language raises troublesome questions yeah. about Jews, about the mm-hmm. Old Testament, about uh, uh, it, it's so... I think uh, progress is one of the models that we have believed in. The most severe critique of the notion of progress I'm hearing these days comes from the the earth care people, yeah. from those concerned about what our progress hmm. has done to the world. And they're finding it very difficult to talk about what we need to do to stop planetary degradation mm. in a world that thinks newer is better yeah. and developing, we're developing, we're developing, we're developing, we're proving, moving. So Christians believe in eschatology, and that is that God has, God has finally got to fix what we can't. God mm. will finally bring everything to its desired, God's desired fulfillment. That'll be good news for some, uh, judgment, bad news for yeah. others. Uh, it, it will be a surprise. Uh, yet in some way, somehow, God is not going to be defeated by our sin. Uh. Yeah, no, I, I found kind of, it, as, as someone who grew up in um, evangelical expressions of Christianity, uh, I it was noticeable to me how little you talked about evil and sin in the book and and yet you're not dismissive of it at all yeah it is it is talked about but yeah allison got to the entry on hell was it hell um which word i don't know you get to the entry on hell and you're like look how short this is i know i was like like, like, oh my goodness this is so wonderful (laughs) well because in in a lot of in a lot of my my theological upbringing there was so much emphasis on you know how how bad sin was and how powerful it was in a way that actually Um, like, like I know how, how Karl Barth talks about sin being uh, nothing but penultimate to, to God and that God is ultimate. And, and I hear that so much in, in your reading because there's, there's a lot where I was like, okay, so we can, we can take evil seriously. We can take sin seriously. And you've talked about it already in our conversation about, yes, we are sinners. Yes, there are things that, like, what was the good old times? Like, those don't exist. Um, so you're very acknowledging of those things but but you're not hmm. it doesn't sound like you're, you're not bound to them 
or or kind of oppressed by them in They're the same the, sort of dominate. way that they don't no. dominate the book. And I kind of yeah. wondered, like it, it was a little jarring to my my evangelical ears um, that I'm like, oh, he takes this really seriously, but it doesn't scare him, and and I found that very intriguing and huh. very hopeful. Wow. Why you're being very Bardian and <laughs> you invoke Father Carl. Yeah. Yes, I was but, gonna say, um, I've, I've, I've done some yeah. reading. <laughs> I think Bart did such, he said, it is so hard to talk about sin, evil, Satan, uh, hell. It's, it's hard to talk about those matters without in some way impugning the work of Christ. Mm. And you sure don't want to do that. Mm. And uh, you uh it, and that that's tricky my, my entry on hell is short but and i'm claiming that you know hell yeah they, i guess but but uh forgive christians for not being too uh interested in hell we're much more interested in where god is and where god is at yeah. work hmm. one thing we know about hell is it appears to be someplace that that is so distant from God uh, as to be absent, even though we we can't in our little brains even think of such a place. Mm-hmm. Um, and my entry on the devil, on Satan, uh, yeah. is kind of tongue in cheek. I was just yeah. say, I love that one. I mean, so early in the book, it's like Beelzebub, and I'm like, ooh, this should be fun. Oh yeah, Beelzebub. <laughs> I, I bring him on as Beelzebub. Yeah, he's, he gets uh, yeah, not but, after abortion. Uh, <laughs> yes, it, it is. Uh, and, you know, I'm a thoroughly mainline, liberal, Protestant kind of uh, Methodist person. And uh, if you ask me to put my finger on a great theological weakness in my church family, I think it's that we haven't spoken of sin with great enough seriousness mm-hmm. there. Uh, in, but I say, and by the way, that's not because we're such nice people. Mm. I don't want to talk about unpleasant things. It's because powerful, privileged people on top mm. about sin. Yeah. It's a beautiful world, and I'm beautiful, and I'm doing well. This year, this week uh, at Yale, in the conversation sessions afterwards, a professor of pastoral care was very upset over the lectures. Uh, she said, um, I think she was upset over the article I was and I had in the Christian Century a few weeks before. But oh, yeah. But saying, you know, it, it seems so negative. And even people uh, said the, the people in the churches that I've served, uh, they're middle class, upper middle class people and all, but they have hurts and they have pains and they have anxieties. And I said, yeah, does the Bible care about their hurts and anxieties? Uh, so when a hurt is hurt, I said, no, no, it didn't. Uh, but then it was just about to say, these people are struggling now. You seem to have no sympathy with them, and uh, et cetera. And I said, they are in pain, and they are anxious, and they are fearful. And half of them voted for Donald Trump. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, a higher percentage of them are refusing to be vaccinated. Because they don't give a damn mm. who they damage in their own families, in the healthcare system, et cetera. So I said, you know, uh, can you be sure as a pastor you're not representing them? 
you're not misrepresenting them because they look like you and your salary. I mean, come on, let's be honest here, people. And, um, was this no. over refreshments or was it just, uh... that, that was, uh, that was actually the end of the conversation yeah, I and I'm no, just trying to be helpful. Hmm. And, uh, yeah. uh, darn it. I think our pastors and our people now deserve much more than sympathy and sensitivity to their pain. Mm-hmm. I, I, they, they deserve equipment for discipleship. I think they deserve a renewed sense of vocation. Hmm. that's so good i that's the lot before i want to ask you or we want to ask you before we end about what gives you hope and and what what should pastors be properly terrified of in this cultural moment but before we do you and you just mentioned that word vocation it's the thing i have uh, stars beside the most in my notes right here several um that uh, oh. you say at one point in the book you say better than unconditional god's love is vocational uh, I responded to that with such hope because uh, oh. there's meaning in that, that mm-hmm. we have purpose and meaning. Well, and, and you actually see it in, in several places in, in the book, your entry on, on the Sabbath, you talk about how maybe the Sabbath is about letting other people rest from having to do yeah. things for us. And it kind of turns, I was like, oh, that's so interesting. It, like it turns that, you know, it, it's less about, I, I think you spoke earlier about like the individual uh, versus the corporate that as as the church as Christians we should always be concerned and I think not to a, like an abusive level I think that that kind of almost goes without saying mm-hmm. but um, but that no the the communal that that we kind of exist to to be sent out yeah yeah it's it I, the vocational stuff I love it's it's in there it's obviously in the how you speak with us. Um, for people who go and go and read that, because mm-hmm. I think, that, well, having vocation, of course, and this is back to Bart, obviously, right? That that this is what means to be Christian is is vocation. Um, but right and now, I, in our I, world, it seems to be a theme with me that of late that I'm I'm diagnosing a theological problem, and that is that we have detached salvation from vocation. Yeah. Hmm, that's that, interesting. In the Christian faith, to be saved is to be given an assignment. Uh, Acts 9, I think, is paradigmatic. That's not much the story of the conversion of Saul. He's happily Jewish. Uh, it, it's the story of uh, somebody being summoned and enlisted and uh, therefore appropriate question is not how am I feeling in the present moment, but I wonder what God is up to in the present yeah. So and how can I hitch on to it? That's so great. And that leads us to our, our end consideration then. Uh, we are in a time right now, I don't know about where you are but in our part of the world, and I know so yeah. many pastors and been a pastor myself, and I, I don't want to overstate it and put them in a place of like terrible angst if they're not there, but I have this sense with many of the pastors that I speak with that they're Terrible just acts. they're just reeling. There's anxiety. <laughs> mm-hmm. There is like uncertainty about what's church. What is church going to look like? There are churches. There are there are no big churches in this part of the world, um, and so not, there's not no, kind there of are, the there sense. are no mega churches really. Not really. Um, so th- there are churches that you would consider yeah. a fair size, couple hundred people, something like mm-hmm. that. Maybe a couple before thousand. the pandemic, and yeah, the, but but around here, couple hundred people, and they've been that way for you know they. 
generations. Uh, so they're, they're viable yes. in that sense before the pandemic. And now they're looking at, they're not sure if they're going to make it afterwards. Um, what gives you hope for the church right now? And what should we be properly terrified of? If I've uh, talked to, uh, I guess, a hundred pastors in the last uh, months. And uh, I agree, the fear, the anxiety, I'm hearing some terrified reports. I'm hearing some pastors who are very sad that they thought once we opened back up, people would return. And many of them are experiencing, well, almost nobody I've talked to has experienced mm -hmm. anything like a complete return. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know the, uh, the Episcopal pastor in Texas who just said, uh, I've been doing soul searching. What did I do? Did I do anything to proclaim the gospel into such a way that to lead my people to believe that Christian discipleship was a personal, individual affair. Uh, and he said, I, I, I worry that I have. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm trying to say that we're Episcopalians. We can't do it without the body, the body. You got to be in the body. You got to be bodily present, you know. But you mm -hmm. ask about hope. One thing about the present moment is if people are, are in anguish and fear, and I hear a lot of that, particularly among pastors, it, it's a time to drive us back to the basic affirmations. Uh, and there is, as long as God, who is, we believe God to be, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there's always hope because God is had so many opportunities to be defeated by us and chose not to be defeated. Uh, God has come to us with so many dead ends. Mm -hmm. Yet God has found a way to kick. I think the risen Christ just loves to kick in doors and show up and say, all right, feel my hands and feet. You guys did this. I'm, I'm, peace. I'm not going to hold it against you. Now, go. Get out of here. Uh, well, I, I believe that is going to continue. Yeah. The thing that causes me anxiety is I don't think it's going to continue in the church that produced me, the church that I'm most comfortable serving, the mm. church that trained to serve. Um, and that's naturally anxious. On the other hand, if you're one of those people who's not particularly happy yeah. with the church we inherited and and all, uh, if, if you're somebody who is open to surprises and and being surprised, you would have told me I'm, I'd be preaching in a bar. Yeah. I, mean, who would have, <laughs> yeah. I was prepared yeah. to preach in a nice little neo-Gothic church. Yeah. Well, if you're that kind of person, yeah. do well. I, my first year seminarians, I'm enjoying so much because many of them, they never knew the Methodist Church. Right. Mm -hmm. So when I tell them, by the way, the Methodist Church is dissolving. It's just going away. You'll probably never get to go to general conference. Yeah. Oh, no. And they said, what? Uh, and as one of them said to me the other day, I want to meet the guy that goes to seminary to get to be on the board of global ministries. I want to meet that person. That's a sick person. Yeah. And, uh, if, if all that is going away, that causes me great grief because I work for it and all. But uh, it's, it's okay. fun to be yeah. working in a new generation who says, and I have one 
young uh, a man that graduated a couple of years ago, and he was telling me in his church in Pennsylvania, he said, the average age is already 65. Mm. They ain't coming back. And he said, most of the men have black lung disease from working in the coal mm. mines in Pennsylvania. They, they're not going to survive all this. Um, and I said, oh, that sounds terrible. He said, yeah, I'm, I've lost the, the church that I was set to. And he said, I guess I'm going to have to learn how to be an evangelist. Hmm. He said, I hope that's good because I do like meeting people and I am kind of extroverted. I said, you are, you are. And he said, you know, the sad thing is I spent three years at Duke Divinity School and you guys didn't prepare me to do any of that. Hmm. I'm going to have to learn how to do it on my own. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, uh, I was thinking, so, uh, you hear preachers or, or church leaders that, you know, the, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, almost as kind of assuaging some fear that like, we know that, you know, this we'll particular church will last forever. And it's like, and I sometimes have in no. my mind, yeah, the gates of hell won't prevail, but the hound of heaven <laughs> might. And, and uh, there's, there's the work of God in, in some of these changes as well. And I appreciate that you open up. And, and Christians, Time and again in our lives, we, we get to a situation where we have to ask ourselves, hey, uh, are we at Good Friday now? Death, defeat, yeah. blood, uh, or are we at Easter? And, uh, and Christians often don't know. We go on knowing that there will be Sunday, there will be Easter eschatological fulfillment. We may get to see some taste of that uh, now. Or uh, uh, one of my students told me when the Methodist trouble started uh, down here, uh, well, I guess you're happy over all this. And I said, happy? I said, those idiots? No. That that new denomination, that's just horrible. A uh, bunch of homophobic. And uh, he said, I'm surprised at your attitude. I said, surprised that I would think that? He said, yes. Yeah. You spent your whole career throwing rocks at the structure of the United Methodist Church. You're about to get your wish. It's going away. Oh. <laughs> and I, think I said, you know, I, I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, uh, I've taken great heart and guidance from uh, the African-American church. Mm. Because when I say, oh, the money's drying up and, and this and that and the other, they say, hmm, we, we never had such a period. Uh, so I uh, said, we bet that's painful, but we wouldn't know anything. <laughs> um, and, and maybe it drives you back uh, uh, to, to basic affirmations. And I just hope we can keep saying, Lord, let us be part of it. If we mm -hmm. can't be part of your work in the ways that we were, uh, help us be part of your work and and wherever you are. Yeah. So, yeah. thank you guys. Oh, thank you oh, so no, much. What a great conversation! <laughs> and as you can tell, we don't have to tell listeners. Like, we highly recommend the book. Yes, um, yes, sure. And, to be official, it, sure. It, it's also the kind of book that can send you towards some of the other hundred or so books because it's it is it's the kind of book often when you you know really connect with a writer. Some of some of the front door for that is books like this that help you to see how uh, the writer thinks. And, mm -hmm. and so it, it, it could be introductory to some of the other stuff too. So mm -hmm. we really oh, well, do recommend you. it. Uh, we thank you so much yes. for taking the time again. Thank you, thank we, you. We, we're grateful to share some common friends 
uh, to do some work here with Jason Biasi and Richard Topping at VST and other places. So we hope to see you in Vancouver Cross at our some fingers. point when when <laughs> well, when everything. It'd is be lovely if we could actually do an interview with you in person. Yeah, I will do that. Someday. Well, that'd be great. Yeah. Bodily present. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. while I've still got a body, yeah. you know, we'll take it. <laughs> still you look great uh, today. Uh, bless you and all your work, and uh, thank you so much for the, taking the time. Thank you. Take care. Okay. Bye. 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 Thank you. Bye. Rector's Cupboard releases a new episode every other Friday. The podcast is a production of Reflector Project. Hosts are Todd Weeb and Allison Williams. Cupboard master for tastings and locations is Ken Bell. Production and social media by Amanda Mina. For past episodes and other content, visit rectorscupboard.ca. Thanks for listening.